business rock stars. Kelly Kennedy here. And today I wanted to introduce you to my business, Capital Business Development, where we don't just see businesses. We see your potential to change the world. We see your passion, your dedication, and drive to do something extraordinary. And we're here to help you bring that vision to life. At Capital Business Development, we understand that behind every business is a visionary, someone with the determination to make a difference. Whether you're a startup with a big idea or an established company aiming to expand your impact, we're here to support you every step of the way. Our mission goes beyond traditional business development. We're committed to nurturing your dreams and empowering you to achieve greatness. From strategic planning and networking to hands-on support and personalized coaching, we provide the tools and guidance you need to succeed. So if you're ready to transform your vision into reality, look no further than Capital Business Development. Visit us today at www.capitalbd.ca to learn more about how we can help you unleash your potential to change the world. Your dreams matter. Let's make them happen together. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. Welcome to episode 84 of the Business Development Podcast. And on today's expert guest interview, we have former FBI agent and author of The Like Switch with us, Dr. Jack Schaefer. Stick with us. You're going to love this episode. The great Mark Cuban once said, business happens over years and years. Value is measured in the total upside of a business relationship not by how much you squeezed out in any one deal. And we couldn't agree more. This is the Business Development Podcast, based in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and broadcasting to the world. You'll get expert business development advice, tips and experiences, and you'll hear interviews with business owners, CEOs, and business development reps. You'll get actionable advice on how to grow business. Brought to you by Capital Business Development, capitalbd.ca. Let's do it. Welcome to the Business Development Podcast. And now your expert host, Kelly Kennedy. Hello, welcome to episode 84 of the Business Development Podcast. And today we have an absolutely amazing expert guest interview for you today. We have Dr. Jack Schaefer, the author of The Like Switch, an ex-FBI agent. Dr. Schaefer, PhD, is a distinguished psychologist, seasoned professor, intelligence consultant, and former FBI special agent. With an illustrious career spanning over two decades, Dr. Schaefer has left an indelible mark on the fields of psychology, national security, and human behavior analysis. During his 15 years as an FBI special agent, Dr. Schaefer undertook critical roles in counterintelligence and counterterrorism investigations, contributing significantly to the nation's security efforts. His expertise led him to serve for seven years as a behavioral analyst in the FBI's National Security Division's Behavioral Analysis Program. In this capacity, he was involved in the development of innovative spy recruitment techniques, conducted interviews with high-profile terrorists, and played a pivotal role in training agents in the intricate arts of interrogation and persuasion. Beyond his remarkable law enforcement career, Dr. Schaefer has made notable contributions to the field of psychology and behavioral analysis. He has authored and co-authored six books, sharing his insights and knowledge with a broader audience. Dr. Schaefer's articles have graced the pages of professional and popular journals. 
and he continues to engage and educate through online pieces in Psychology Today magazine. Today, Dr. Schaefer serves as a respected professor within the School of Law Enforcement and Criminal Justice at Western Illinois University, where he imparts his wisdom and experience to the next generation of professionals. His work continues to influence and shape the understanding of behavior, security, and the complexities of our ever-changing world. Dr. Schaefer, it is an honor to have you on our show today. Well, thank you for the kind words. Man, I, <laughs> uh, you know, I said it before, this, this particular interview for me is, is truly meeting one of my heroes. Um, I read your book for the first time nearing the beginning of my business development career. And it's just as amazing today. I reread it right before our interview again over the last few days. And um, it still blows my mind. It, it, you know, people that listen to my show about business development say it's a bit like drinking through a fire hose because we, we do a lot of educational stuff on here. But I think that the like switch is a bit like drinking through a fire hose with just the sheer amount of knowledge that you managed to pack into one book. Well, thanks again. But it's uh, it was like the culmination of everything I learned over my career as a police officer and an FBI agent. <laughs> yes, yes. And it shows very much so. You know, take us back to the beginning. Um, how did you end up on that path? Well, it, I think it's it started back when I was a little little kid, my mom would take us to the mall and I found myself just sitting in a, a place and looking at people and find them fascinating. What, what are they doing? Why are they doing it? What's going on? And that kind of fueled my uh, curiosity for human behavior. And then as I uh, got a little bit older, I, I decided to, to become a police officer. And those skills that I kind of picked up ad hoc, just observing people, really came in handy during police work because I was able to look at people and kind of analyze their behavior and anticipate what they were going to do. Yes, yes. And like, because the, the intricacy of which you go into the analysis of just specific things, you know, was that taught to you over time? Or was that something that you've just absor observed and essentially made note of? Well, basically, what I did is I, I, I look at I, I like to read a lot of psychological research in the journals. I look at the studies, and I pick things up from there that are very esoteric. And what I do is I try to repackage it and bring it down into a, 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 a practical application for for regular folks, rather than just academics. And then also throughout my career, I met a lot of personal uh, friends that did showed me a lot of intricate or different techniques for interviewing or getting along with people. And I picked up on those. And then also my uh, experience in law enforcement, I, I picked up a lot of things on my own. So it's kind of an eclectic approach based on research, fellow investigators and uh, my own experiences. My gosh, uh, you know, you, you've dealt with special agents, you've been a special agent, you've dealt with spies, counterintelligence. Yeah. The, your career is unbelievable, first off. Uh, so congratulations on an absolutely stunning and amazing career. Um, you know, how has that experience, you know, changed who you are, or the way that you look at the world? Well, I, I look at the world, it's, it's like looking at the, the difference between looking at a black and white TV and a color TV. Or I suppose nowadays, a color TV and a 5G TV. 
you get a, a keener, crisper look at the world, more insights, you can see more things. So it kind of fills in the blanks that most people don't fill in, in during their normal lives. Yes, yes. You know, that was kind of one of the takeaways that I got from reading the book is that once you know this kind of information and like to your level where it is ingrained into who you are, like I imagine you can't you can't end up in a situation and unknow the things that you know. Right? I, I guess one of the questions that I had was it, it must be a little bit challenging uh, to be Dr. Schaefer because, you know, I mean, you have the ability to read people on a level that most people are just completely unaware of. Well, it, it I, 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 people, people often ask me that, do you, do you automatically do those things? And, and my knee jerk response is no. But then when you think about it, yeah, I guess I do because yeah. it is part of me. I've been doing it so long and it's, it's like, uh, I've thrown a switch when I'm working, I get more intense. It takes a lot of energy to analyze people constantly. So only in like working situations will I, you know, make the effort to really analyze people. But do I do it subconsciously? Yes. 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 I, I imagine so. I imagine so. <laughs> One of the questions that I had regarding that was, okay, so when I was listening to the book, obviously a big part of the book is the friendship signals, right? In the beginning, kind of when we're getting into the say second, third chapters, we're talking about the friendship signals. And uh, I remember kind of thinking like, well, if I'm doing these things, and I recognize later that I do most of them automatically, um, kind of same thing, just intrinsically been in business development a long time and building rapport with people, the friendship signals kind of become a part of it, even though I don't consciously think about it. But I remember kind of thinking, well, if I was consciously thinking about all the friendship signals, and I'm doing the canting of my head, and I'm leaning in towards people or like, wouldn't people notice? But then, you know, I mean, you kind of mentioned that they're so subtle that most people don't even recognize that it's happening. And it's even it's even more critical because people do it all the time every day. They just don't realize they do it because it is subconscious. So what I always tell people, don't take my word for about the friend signals. I want you to just go out and look at people and look at the head tilt and the eyebrow flash and the smile. You'll see it every day, all the time, and then you'll catch yourself eyebrow flashing and tilting your head and smiling. Yeah. And so what I'd like to tell the people I talk to is that I'm not teaching you anything new. I'm teaching you to recognize something you do every day. Then you can take those friend signals and then you get into a business situation, a business meeting, a negotiations with somebody. You can intentionally use those to make sure that the message gets across that I'm not a threat. Yes, yes. It was super funny because I was thinking about this the other day and I have a pretty high level client here in Canada that we work with and they were at a big, big meeting and they had about half the room bought in and the other half they were struggling with. And they're like, Kelly, like, what could we have done better? And uh, I was like, man, like, I think we just need to implement all the stuff in the like switch because I think ultimately you could have targeted the ones that weren't uh, weren't on board and, and had a little more personal contact and figured out a way to flip them. But it's just not something that in the moment that you necessarily think of. But if you can learn to enact some of these principles into your everyday life, and it is going to take practice, and it is a lot of information. But I think that any business person could benefit immensely from enacting even half of the information in the like switch. Yeah, because all, all you're doing is building a rapport or a relationship between two people. And if I can get the person I'm talking to, to like me, they're more likely 
to buy something from me, a good goods or services to help me. And that's kind of the secret of the whole thing is when people like other people, they want to do things for those people without even being asked. So all we're doing is we're trying to develop a relationship where it's a win-win. The yeah. person wants to help me. I want to help them fill a need. They want to, to buy the product for me. So it's kind of a give and take, and it's a happy situation. It's a win-win. In the book, you know, obviously it's it's near the beginning, but we talk about the friendship formula. Like, you know, in that case, we're talking about proximity, frequency, duration, intensity. But these are all of the techniques that you guys implemented in order to flip to flip agents or to flip, uh, you know, foreign nationals and things along those lines. And it's it's an amazing story. And the first uh, the beginning of it, what we're ultimately talking about is Operation Seagull. Can you yes. uh, elaborate a little bit on Operation Seagull? Well, the, we, we initially, in the, as we, in the behavioral analysis program, Joan Navarro and I sat down because people were asking us, how do you make friends? How do you develop sources? How do you get people to talk to you? And so we sat down and we said, there's four basic principles. Bottom line, proximity, because if you don't have proximity, you don't have a relationship. Then there's frequency, so you have to be frequently by somebody. And if there's duration, you can't just frequently be by somebody. It has to be with duration because the more time we spend with someone, the more we can influence them. And then there has to be intensity. And we measure those by nonverbal signals. So we had a, a, a person that we wanted to talk to. And he said, I will never talk to you. And we said, fine. But we needed the information from him. So what did we do? We sat in his cell and we just sat there and read the paper and did nothing. And then we sat there and sat there, and pretty soon that proximity, what proximity does, it subconsciously develops mutual liking. So just by the mere fact I'm there, I'm not a threat, then he lowers his guard. Then when the fear goes away, then curiosity takes hold. So eventually he says, well, why are you here? Why do you come every day? Well, just to talk to you. And then I go back to reading my newspaper because there's a principle, you increase uh restrictions increases drive so you want to you want to hold back so i held back finally he just eventually says okay i want to talk to you and i looked at him i said well you sure you said you'd never talk to us i want to make sure that you want to talk to us he says yes yes i want to talk to you what do you want (laughs) so it's it's the the that psychological principles that really predispose people to want to talk to you, to like you, to get curious. I'm, I am incredibly curious about, you know, your time in the FBI. Um, were you aware of these principles before you ended up in the FBI? Or was this a specific training program that was given to new agents? It, it, no, it wasn't a specific. Tra- I'll tell you, it's kind of an interesting story because I was a training agent where I had a new agent. I was training and he kind of followed me around with a notebook and he said, why did you do what you did when you did it? Well, I don't know. He kept asking me all these questions and I said, well, why don't you get 18 years experience and you can do it? He says, I don't want to wait 18 years. I want to do it now. So he started taking notes and then we did postmortems on all our interviews. And then he he started saying, well, why'd you do it? And I explained, there's a psychological principle of this and that and the other thing. Well, I didn't even really uh, catalog any of those things. I just instinctively read and knew about those things. So in the end of about six or eight months, his notebook was filled with all these techniques. 
and and the psychological principles of why they worked. And I said, boy, that would make a good book, <laughs> you know, because you can take you can take all those principles that we do in in uh, getting people to confess or getting people to, to spy for us or turn betray their country and work for our country. Yeah. And if I can get somebody to betray their country and work for ours, I can I can get a date. I can get a business deal. I can sell something uh, in the in the business and social world. Yes, absolutely. And one of the things that it made me question, okay? And one of the things that it made me question is how much of interaction is actually a choice? Because if you can convince somebody to to flip sides, to betray their country, right? Something that morally in, inside of them, they would fight tooth and nail, but using the right techniques over a period of time, using the principles, you are able to convince them to do something that intrinsically to who they are as a human, they probably wouldn't go against any other way. It does start to make you question how much of our day-to-day life is even a choice, or is it just a series of events? If you push well, the I right think, buttons. Well, I think we, we all make choices. Some of us are more aware of the choices or circumstances surrounding our choices than others. Mm-hmm. So you, some people just spontaneously make a choice and other people think about their choices. So, but we all have choices. It, given the fact that you know what you know now, do you find that, you know what I mean, you would be able to recognize if somebody was was performing something like this on you? Would you be able to recognize the signals? Oh, absolutely. And what I tell people is you, you should learn these techniques because that's what con men do when they con people. They, t- they take their identity. They take their money. And so what you want to do, they use the same techniques, by the way. So what you have to do is recognize it. And I call it name it and uh, label it and name it, name it. And, and uh, what I say, name it. And uh, what you want to do is you recognize what, what it is and then you bring it to their attention. So what you say is, hey, I know what you're doing. I know yeah. what you're up to. At least you're thinking. I know what they're up to. Now you're now you're made aware of what they're up to. Now you have to think, is this a normal relationship developing or is this a con man trying to get information from me that he doesn't need to get? Yes. So it gives you red flags. Yes. And you hit on that very much in the last chapter of the book, where you're talking about red flags to watch out for on the internet and how yeah. much you want to put out there. And I did notice when I was trying to do research on you, Dr. Schaefer, that you are very, very good at keeping your information off the internet. <laughs> well, you can, you, can, you can find me if you look. <laughs> I uh, trust me, I found considerably less about you than I have about any of my previous guests. And there's been quite a few of them at this point. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad if I'm running a business, right? Well, I don't you know, when your business is uh, is trying to keep things close to the chest, I think you're doing a pretty great job. <laughs> well, you know, uh, to be honest with you, I don't advertise. I just people just contact me and I talk to them and, and, you know, go consult and those types of things. So, cause I'm in a position where I don't have to build a business. Sure. Sure. Can, tell me about, uh, about what type of consulting you're doing right now. Well, I, I consult with a uh, lot of salespeople. Uh, the, the sales company will call me and say, Hey, our salespeople are having trouble breaking into a new area or a new field or a new product. How do we get to the people that 
hold the purse and make the decisions. Mm -hmm. And so then what do you, you introduce the uh, personal relationship index, you get proximity, you get frequency, you get duration, you add intensity, and then you start eliciting from information from those people. And elicitation is nothing more than you're steering a conversation to a topic you want to you want them to reveal information that they normally would keep secret. Yeah. So elicitation uh, allows people to reveal the truth before they have a chance to lie or before they even know that they're revealing information. You're speaking to a ton of business owners right now. Um, I would love, how do we take this information that's very much in a way, the way that it's kind of shaped is to put it into a situation where you can get, for instance, right in front of these people, or you can have that proximity effect. How do you do that in a situation like business where you may not know the target? Um, you may not know where the target is. You just know ultimately that you need to speak with somebody in potentially a different state, a different province. H how does that work? Um, if we were well, to take well, some of this information and, and apply it to a business relationship? Well, I had one company that said they wanted to get into a totally different field. How do we get to the people in that field? And I said, the first thing you want to do is get on LinkedIn because they have profiles. And in the profiles, they often list their hobbies, what they do, what they like. So now we're talking about common ground. Yeah. And, and based on common ground is, is a powerful uh, rapport building technique. So what you want to do is then you, then you also want to set up contact with them that is a curi that it, uh, initiates curiosity. And uh, so they'll say, I want to call you. So you can set up different questions or different scenarios where people will look at that and say, hmm, what is that? That looks interesting. Maybe I will call them because we do have some things in common. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's just a matter of sometimes you need – to talk to somebody that will act as your ambassador. So if you talk to a secretary, right, and just get to know the secretary of the person that you want to get into, she's the gatekeeper or he's the gatekeeper, what you want to do is be friendly with them, develop rapport with them. And then when the boss asks them, who is this person? They're going to say, oh, he's a nice guy. He's a nice girl. He's a nice person. Maybe you ought to talk to him. So now you have an, you've, you've, You've recruited an ambassador. We call that an access agent in the espionage world. You created an ambassador who then will will give your target good good tidings about you. And in the book, you refer to that as the primacy effect. Yes. And the primacy effect is something that I found really interesting. And you mentioned that it can go two ways, which is also really dangerous. Um, and in the book, I was thinking like, obviously, the power of this is huge. We look at it in the business world as referrals. When you're yeah. referred, it's the best way, hands down, to get into any business because you have the primacy effect paving the way. And it's much harder to go backwards from it. So you want to make sure that whatever, yeah. whatever effect you're getting is hopefully positive because the other yeah. way around, people are already making assumptions about you that are pretty hard to change. Right. And, you know, we we call it, I guess you call it in the business world, networking. Yeah. But this will be networking probably added, networking plus. So you're adding different tools just to say hi is networking. But you want to add some tools there that will help encourage that person 
to to further your cause. Yes, yes. Dr. Schaefer, can you, um, I, I know I have lots of people listening that are thinking the primacy effect, like what is he talking about? Could you maybe go into definition as to what the primacy effect is? Yeah, what the primacy effect is, is it doesn't change reality, but it changes the person's perception of reality. So if I ask you, I want to introduce you to a, a person you've never met, and that you, you, you know, the person isn't very trustworthy. Be careful. When you shake their hand, make sure you count your fingers, make sure they're all there. So when that, per- and in fact, that person that I'm asking you to meet is very trustworthy. But what have I done? I've set up a filter through which I want you to see that person is, is untrustworthy. So when you meet that person, what are you going to think? Whoa, I better be careful. Absolutely. I better be very careful. So it doesn't change reality. It changes perception of reality. Yes. And in the opposite works, I could say, you'll meet this guy. He's really friendly, gregarious. You'll love him. Great sense of humor. But really, he's a, he, he's a troll and he lives under a bridge and eats billy goats in the morning, right? <laughs> yeah. So when you meet him, here's the, here's the difference. So you meet him for the first time and you say, oh, he's probably having a bad day. You meet him a second time. Oh, his biorhythms rhythms are off, or he's having some kind of moment, or some goof, you know, something. Yes. But you, you don't do that when you when you meet a guy that you think is untrustworthy. You meet him once, and that's it. That's right. So that, that's how you work primacy. And and I did it in law enforcement because I, I was talking to a suspect, uh, many suspects, but I talked. To, you know, we'll just use an example. I talked to a suspect. My partner has an emergency phone call. I tell the suspect, you know that guy. He, he, he's a, he's a lie. He's a human lie detector. He knows when people are lying, no matter how sophisticated. So set up the primacy. When my partner comes back, guess what? The suspect is going to see my partner as a human lie detector. Yeah. And then it's, he's going to be a real leery when he lies. Yeah. And you talk about that in the book and I absolutely love it because, you know, you, you had your, you had your partner say things at certain times to just kind of reinforce what you said. And at some point the suspect just broke. It's like, how does he know this? Yes, (laughs) I love that. It's unbelievable. When I thought about that and the power of that in day-to-day life, it's very like, I guess your perception of people is so critical and the perception of you in business and having people to be able to paint a positive perception of you as opposed to a negative one my gosh the power of that is unbelievable and and scary on the other side of it because like you said it is possible to break that effect but it takes multiple engagements and to try to kind of convince people that oh this guy's not a bad person it's going to take an incredibly long time multiple interactions where they see the opposite and all it takes is one person to one word picture yeah and I'll tell you how you can use it in business world. And, and I often often used it when I was trying to get some uh, a project through that needed to be funded. So what I do is I talk to in, the, in companies, there's always one person that is the ring kisser, right? Yes. Tells, goes right to the boss and tells them everything. So what you want to do is you want to set up what I call a third party compliment which is nothing more than primacy. So I'm going to tell the guy who's the ring kisser, you know what? It's about time we have a good manager. It's about time the boss knows what he's doing. It's about time things get run right around this place. So he runs right back to the boss and says, hey, this guy said you're a really nice manager. So what happens is that's a third-party compliment. 
if I was to walk up to the boss and say, oh, you're the greatest boss I've ever had, he'd say, yeah, shields up. What do you want? Sure. But if you get a third party to say it, then it's powerful. Because then when he sees you next time, he goes, oh, there's the guy that said that I'm a good manager. And I think maybe I'll let him do his project or fund his project. Yes. It's like, it's like when students come into my office, they go, oh, Professor Schaefer, you're the best professor I've ever had in my whole life. And I go, what do you want? <laughs> and, 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 and I also, in, in another technique you can use in the business world is you don't, you don't present a, say, say you have a new idea that's kind of counter to what the culture is in the business. You don't want to introduce that because then you're telling everybody in the business You've been doing it wrong for all those years. Yes. So what you want to do is go to your boss and say, I would like your advice. Because instead of saying, I got this great idea, say, boss, I'd like your advice on this. So what happens then, the boss goes, of course you do, because I'm the boss. Mm -hmm. And then you let the boss make up his mind whether he likes it or not. So you're actually encouraging the boss to look at it, and then he's going to look at it, and then he's going to – he's going to uh, more than likely at least give give it credence yes yes and there's a there's an overlying theme to the whole book and it's the golden rule of friendship yes can you get into the golden rule of friendship yeah the, the golden rule of friendship is powerful because the golden rule of friendship simply states if you want people to like you you make them feel good about themselves so your conversation with other people is going to be all about themselves because the more time you spend with someone and they like being with you, the odds of them wanting to be with you again increase. In fact, they may even want to make up an excuse to come see you again. And I teach my students, the guys especially, I said, if you want the girls to like you, you make it all about them. And you make you make them feel good about themselves, and then they're going to like you, and they're going to think of an excuse to come by and see it. So you don't even have to call them; they'll call you, and yeah. they go like, "Whoa, that's pretty cool." So, I, but how do how do you do it? I'll give you some quick techniques. One is the empathic statement. The empathic statement is nothing more than you take what that person said, they feel, or their emotional state, you put it in, in parallel language, and then you what mirror it back to them. So I'll give you an example. I saw a girl on the elevator, and she was smiling. When people smile, the day's going good for them. Sure. So I use that as an empathic statement. So you're having a good day. She said, yes, I just passed a test I studied really hard for. So I said, so your hard work paid off. And so she goes, yeah. And then she starts telling me all kinds of things about her day and her life. And and good thing it was only four floors. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 nonetheless, the second principle that that people don't see there is, is in addition to the empathic statement, I allow I allowed that person to flatter themselves. So direct flattery doesn't work really well because people say, "What do you want?" Their shields go up. Mm -hmm. So what you want to do? The best way to flatter people is allow them to flatter themselves. And that we'll, we'll go back to the thing about, I would like your advice on something. We're not only asking for the advice, we're allowing them to what? Flatter themselves. So that's how we make people feel good about themselves. Empathic statements and 
they they're allowed to flatter themselves. Yes, yes. And you get into that later on in the book, too, uh, with regards to disarming anger, which I would like to get into yes. at some point as well. But um, one of the things that I found really interesting in the book is uh, you mentioned essentially using um, using the system in order to kind of game the system in some ways, even at the FBI, when you were trying to get um, funding for, for various yes. projects that you could ultimately use, uh, you know, hey, like talking to other agents or people that would kind of coincide with the management in order to let them know that, hey, like, you know, uh, Jack Schaefer, actually, he he loves what you guys are doing. And you were able to kind of create convincing pitches before you even went in and asked for yeah. funding. Yes. Yeah, so that you, you want to soften your target up before you go in. Yeah. But how did that work in the FBI when they had to have been open or looking for that or understanding that it was happening? Well, you know what? Um, all these techniques, here's the secret. All these techniques are within what I call the human baseline. And so what our brain does is we constantly look for threats in the, in, in the world. So when the brain has already figured out that some action or words is not a threat, they put it in a, like in a storage box and they don't pay attention to those things from that point on because they're too worried about things that are outside the baseline. So what we're doing, all these techniques, you're operating within the human baseline. So people don't recognize those things because the brain has already decided we're going to ignore that because it's not a threat. So, so you don't even know that you're being influenced because your brain doesn't figure it out. It's only when you go outside the baseline, the brain goes, whoa, wait, something's different. Mm -hmm. So I always teach people stay within the baseline. You and then nobody, then you can daisy chain these, these techniques. And I use them one after another, after another, after another. Nobody knows because we're, all, we're in the baseline. You mentioned that what could ultimately happen, though, is that you give yourself away because you are aware that you're doing it. And so it's like you change the baseline because like subconsciously you're aware that you're yeah. doing it. And that's something called the spotlight effect. I always teach surveillance people or intelligence people. They always think, oh, I've been made. They know what I'm up to. Yeah. And I go, no, they don't. Because you get hypersensitive when you use a technique or you try to do something that you normally wouldn't do or you think is bad, then you get hypersensitive. It's like two, two examples. You got a spot on your tie. You think anybody noticed a spot on your tie? No, but you're so hypersensitive. What do you say? Oh, geez, look at my spot on my tie. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see the spot now. So they were hypersensitive before what? Nobody noticed it. Yeah. So I call that the spotlight effect. So when you're, it's, it's like lying to somebody. When you lie to somebody, you think, oh, my gosh, they know I'm lying, when in fact they don't know you're lying because you turn on the spotlight effect, and so you, you start then acting outside the norm. Yeah. And that's when the brain says, uh-oh, something's up yeah. because you're acting outside human, the human baseline. So how do you counter that within yourself? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, you have to, you, well, I've trained myself to stay in the baseline. Yeah, I know, I know. But it's like, even if you're within the baseline, like you said, you're fighting your own perception because you might be doing things intentionally, like you said, canting your head or doing an eyebrow flash or something like that, that to you feels weird because you know that you're doing it intentionally. But no yeah. one else does. But you right. do. 
And so yeah. you have to fight yourself. How did you find, like, obviously in the beginning, that had to have been awkward for you. How did you, how did you get over that or how did it become normal? Well, here's what I tell people. I don't want you to turn the spotlight off. I want you to dim it. Turn it down really low. Just recognize it exists, recognize it's happening, and then move on knowing that nobody knows what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. When you were dealing with counterintelligence, <clears throat> you know, I mean, obviously, some of the targets that you guys were working with would have been trained in how to spot some of this. How were you able to still uh, deceive them in some ways? How were you still able to do it? There, therein lies the game. <laughs> It's a game. It's a game of chess. Yeah. I make a move, and sometimes you feign a move this way, and you go around the other way. So it's just a matter of trying to out outfox the other person. Have I been beaten? Yes, I've been beaten. And you just go, "Oh well, let me look to see how I was beaten," and then note to self, "Don't do that again." Yeah. And then, in over time, in enough encounters, you you learn how the other person plays the game. And then you try to counter their move. So it's all, I don't know, it's, it's fascinating how it works. Because they make a move and they expect you to make this move. And, and you try to make a move that they're not anticipating. You try to, you know, do an end around or, or something. Yeah. So And they see the end around coming, so they'll block it. So you got to think of another way to get, get there. And it's all done without words. Uh, it's it's unbelievable and it's such a cool you know i mean i loved i love listening to the stuff in the book where you're talking about your time as an agent because it is yeah. really really interesting and and a world that most most people just don't see um one of the cool things in that like obviously you were with the fbi quite a while you didn't start out necessarily knowing all of these techniques how did it evolve in in your 15 years as an active agent well, I, I, I was always keen on behavioral analysis, you know, yeah. be, or not behavioral analysis, but just behavior of people. And so then I, I just started reading and, and talking to people and then trying to develop techniques that I could, number one, label. Because yeah. if you can label a technique, I can teach it. I can teach you the variables of the technique. Yeah. And that's how that new agent kind of helped me identify the variables that go into each of these techniques that I was doing instinctively. So and that I, helped identify the variables. Yes. And then at some point you ended up training. Uh, there's a part in the book where you're talking about obviously uh, the, uh, the Iraq Afghanistan war, the early 2000s. And that um, obviously at that point it was hearts and minds, right? We were trying to win hearts and minds, but how the heck do you do that when you're an intimidating soldier? Can you bring us into that? Yeah, what, what we did was we tried to teach the soldiers, yes, wear your battle gear. Be ready to kill in the, in the slightest moment, but put a facade on that you're friendly. So what you want to do is make sure you tilt your head, your eyebrow flash, you smile. Because when you smile, you release endorphins. Endorphins make you feel good about you. So if I make you feel good about you, you're going to like me. Head, the eyebrow flash says I'm not a threat. The head tilt says I'm not a threat. And then you want to use empathic statements. And then you want to throw out a few soccer balls. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And then and then essentially using primacy effect through the yes. kids, right? Well, the kids then like you. So they're going to go home to, to their parents and say, hey, those guys are okay. And so now you, you've, again, you set up this, they become your ambassadors using primacy. Wow. 
Yeah. And, and it, it worked. It worked. Yes. That was going to be my question. We didn't get into it much in the book, but I was wondering, was it, was it very effective? Yeah, it was very successful because we ended up teaching everybody who went uh, on deployment. The last stop, I had a lot, I had them for about a week teaching them these techniques. Wow. Wow. That's, that's unbelievable. Not just me, but there was a team of us. that did. Sure, sure, sure. And then, um, were you also teaching these techniques at the FBI as well? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, order- I, I, yeah, I certainly was. I was teaching interview and interrogation techniques. I was teaching undercover. I taught a lot in Canada, RCMP. Oh, amazing. For about 10 years, I was teaching wow. the undercover stuff. Wow, wow. So it was fascinating. Yeah, I uh, I imagine. I imagine. Um Man, I guess one of the questions that I kind of had regarding the book was, we talk a lot about what are some of the techniques you can do to influence a a situation, right? One of the questions that I had ultimately was, what if you were in a meeting and it just really wasn't going your way? And you had, let's say, two or three people, you know, it could be one, could be two, could be three people that you're trying to make a connection with, but you're struggling, they have walls up. One of the questions that I kind of had was, if we are using the friendship formula, if we're using some of the techniques, um, like you said, like smiling, eyebrow flashes, finding ways to open, uh, having open body communication, can you influence people to change their approach? Like if you're if you're in a meeting with somebody who's being very closed off, can you open them up simply by displaying open body language? Or once they made up their mind, is it really tough? No, here's what you, initially what you do in a conference. When I'm giving a presentation to uh, just a small conference with, you know, the, it works better with a small conference room with the small audience around a, a conference table. What you want to do is you want to look at who's mirroring you, who's, who's, who's leaning forward, who's nodding their head when you're talking, who's, you know, head tilting. Those are the people that are interested. The people that aren't will be leaning back in their chairs with their legs crossed and their arms crossed. Mm-hmm. Those are the people you want to convince. You don't want to convince the people that are already on board. So then I would specifically talk to those people and say, hey, what's, 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 you know, try to work through and develop a personal rapport with them. And one of the things that, that really helps in business is that if you're explaining things to somebody, like we'll give you an example. You, you want some money to do something for some project in, in your business. And you go to the boss and you say, look, boss, look at all the benefits. Look at the cost benefit. Look at this. Look at that. And then you say, and then the boss says, how much is it going to cost? And you give him a number and he purses his lips. Right? Just like, like slight outward movement of the lips. Yeah. That means he has formed a negative opinion about what you just said. So money is the problem. So in sales, you want to identify the obstacles that prevent you from selling. You can look at the person's lips. And if the lips are pursed, that's the obstacle. That's what you work on. Now, the trick is you want that person to change their mind while it's still in their mind before they have a chance to say no. Yeah. Because it's a psychological principle of consistency. If we say something, we tend to live up to what we say. So if he says no, it's very difficult for that person to change their mind. Yes. And the other reason is when we make a decision, when we're in decision-making process, we have a tendency to be a little anxious, just even slight a bit anxious. So once you make a decision, anxiety goes away. 
why would that person want to re-engage anxiety by opening up the decision again? Interesting. So what you want to do then is so I use elicitation. I, I, I use the I'll bet you're thinking the internal dialogue technique. Boss, I bet you're thinking this might be a little too expensive, but let me show you how this is more effective and you'll gain more and you'll get more and we'll do more and more sales and this, that, and the other thing, right? Whatever yeah. your objectives are. Now you're going to get him to change his mind while he's still in his mind before he has a chance to say no. But how do you know he did something negative? Uh, thinking negative is the lip purse. <laughs> My God, it's it's weird to think that we tell everything with yes, our body do. language. <laughs> I don't, don't, I don't like we don't that. Tell, maybe we don't tell everything, but we tell a lot. <laughs> My gosh, yeah. I hope our listeners are just understanding the power of understanding body language and how to work with people. It, it truly is unbelievable. And and I honestly, I was not aware of how powerful it was until I read your book. Um, and then it scared the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's just a way to make people aware of what they normally do every day. Yeah. So that's the, that's the, and it, the thing is you don't have to learn anything. You don't have to learn a technique. You don't have to learn this and that and, and, uh, and correlates and all the laws and rules. No, you do it normally. It's instinctive. Yeah. Well, all you have to do is recognize what you're doing. Then you go like, whoa, I just did that. Or I just saw a lip purse. That means that's the, the, the obstacle to the sale. Yeah, yeah. In the book, too, you were talking about um, the difference between introverts and extroverts and how they make decisions. Yes. Um, you know, we were obviously talking about looking for, looking for the, the, the issue or the obstacle. When you're dealing with an introvert versus an extrovert with regards to, you know, an important business decision, are there better ways to handle each one of them? Yeah, an extrovert is more spontaneous. You could probably push an ex extrovert into making a spontaneous buying decision because they're very spontaneous. Yeah, I'll buy that. Now, an introvert, on the other hand, they like to go home, take everything into account, and then consider it overnight, sleep on it, wake up, and then make a decision. So what you can do is I would present my product brochure and all my product. I would make my sales pitch, give them the brochure. And I said, oh, by the way, I have the competitor's brochures. I want you to take it home and look at because they're going to do it anyway. Yeah. I want you to take it home and look at it. And then you then you want to say something like after reading this, sleep on it tonight. And after reading this, when you get up tomorrow, you will make a decision to come back and buy my product. So what are we doing? We're giving them a chance to go home and think about it, which they're going to do anyway. And then you have an embedded command in there. You will come back and you will buy my product. <laughs> it, it It's like the primacy effect. Yes. it do, What it does is called an embedded command. What it does is it increases the probability that that person will come back and buy your product. Can't guarantee it, but it increases the probability. And if it increases it 10%, you're that far ahead. It's a little bit like uh, like a hypnotic command. <laughs> well, in a way, that's why they call it an embedded command, because you're embedding a, a, a direct command for that person to do something. And subconsciously, it has an effect on people. How much of that is happening in advertising? Oh, all the time. It happens all the time. The primacy, especially, you know how Nate's hot dogs got started? No. Hot dogs back in the, what, 20, it was 19, early 1900s were 10 cents. 
Yeah. Nate comes along and says, oh, I, I will sell a hot dog for a nickel. Everybody thought, oh, cheap hot dog, probably not real meat. It's dog or, you know, horse <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, so what did he do? He invited people from the doctors and nurses from a nearby hospital to have free hot dogs for like a week or so. Yeah. So who shows up at the hot dog stand in their 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 uh, doctor smocks and the what do they call that? What are the, what are those things they uh, they wear those things? You know the doctor suits. Yeah, the green, I know what the you green mean. ones. I forget what they call them, but yeah. th those green things, right? Sure. And so everybody driving by goes, "Wow! If all the nurses and doctors are eating there, it must be healthy." Yeah. <laughs> and that's how he got his start. Wow! Wow! Yeah, the power of power of perception. Yeah, the power of perception. Hey? Yeah, three three out of four dentists like Colgate or whatever. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, I'd like to talk to the one that didn't. <laughs> He 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 missed that day. <laughs> you know, you primacy primacy is, is absolutely powerful. Yes, yes, and you know we've been focusing so much on business, but I think it's really important. I want all of our listeners to know this book is so much more than business. We're just really keeping it on business right now because of the nature of our show and the nature of the listeners. But understand that this is just as beneficial for anything you deal with in your personal life. And and I want to get into the anger side of it. Um, it's nearing the end of the book. You get into the anger cycle. Can we talk about that a little bit and how to disarm it? Yeah, well, uh, you know, believe it or not, occasionally uh, we run into angry people in law enforcement. I know that's hard to believe, but when we do, <laughs> here's here's what we do. You got to realize when when people are angry, they go into the fight flight response, and one of the the functions of the fight flight response physiologically is to cut off the signal from your 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 cortex, which is your thinking brain. And the signal goes right to the amygdala or the limbic system. So you're on automatic response. So you can't, you can't rationally talk to angry people because they're not thinking logically. And that's due to survival. Because if you see a snake, you can't go like, hmm, it rattles. So that might be bad. The, the diamond back, you know, it's coiled up. And yeah. by the time you figure all that out, think it through, logically, you're dead. So it cuts off that logical part of your brain and you go right to the survival part of your brain. So you can't talk to them. You gotta let them vent. So then you gotta think what causes anger in the first place? Well, when people wake up every morning, they have expectations of how they want the world to go, the way it's gone yesterday and the day before and the day before that. You can predict the world, people are happy. Once that world gets out of whack, and their predictions don't work, they get frustrated. Frustration leads to anger. So the first thing you wanna do with an angry person is to provide an explanation. The reason I'm doing this is because, and then yada, yada, yada. Oh, that makes sense. Now their world is back in sync again. Well, if that doesn't work, then they're gonna get even more angry. So what you wanna do is instead of engaging the angry person, you let them vent. And then what you do is you you insert an empathic statement. For example, I'm gone two two weeks on a TDY. I come home and I expect my wife to say, give me a nice big hug and a kiss and a hello, right? Well, she's got three kids she's been dealing with for for two weeks on her own. So she says, geez, when you were gone, I'm pulling double duty. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm beyond myself. 
So what's an empathic statement? You just restate what she says. What she's saying is, I'm overwhelmed. So I, I would start out, so you feel overwhelmed. And she'll say, yes. And then you think, oh, anger will go away. No, it won't. She vents now. And she says, and in addition to that, I wanted to go out with my friends every Wednesday night. I couldn't do that because I wanted to talk to adults again. I wanted to get away from the kids and used to babysit. And you didn't do that. And I couldn't go out. Empathic statement. You miss being with your friends. Yes. So now she'll vent again, and then the shoulders will come down, and she'll get, you know, you just exhaust. You know, think about the last time you were angry. You just, like, let out the big, deep breath. Oh, I'm done. And that's when you stick in a presumptive statement. That's a course of action you want that person to take when they have a very difficult time uh, refusing. So my presumptive statement in that example is, why don't I take the kids over to my mom's house? You go up and take one of those bubble bath things, and, I, and I'm going to take you out to a really nice restaurant because you deserve it. What is she going to say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it, it really is just allow, like, you have to allow that pressure to release, and you need yes. to do that in a non-confrontive way. Yes, yes. And but I've if- had colleagues, you know, in the business sense, I've had colleagues come into my office and you're a real jerk. Well, they, they use more decorative language, but you're a real jerk. So I'm thinking, hmm, I must have made them angry. So I, so the empathic statement is, so I must have done something that, that you didn't like. And then that's an empathic statement. They vent. And empathic statement, they vent. And in this case, it was, you're, you're not telling me what you're doing all day, and I have to make reports on what you're doing, and you're not telling me. So my presumptive is, why don't we meet every day at at eight o'clock in the morning and I'll give you a, a briefing of what I'm going to do and what I did. And then I, I was funny. The agent just looked at me and said, wow, that was easy. I go, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. End, end of, end of uh, confrontation. Yeah. And, and at the end you look, you look like just the super smart, rational guy because you didn't blow up. You didn't, you didn't fight him back. You just found a solution. It really seems like a better way to handle pretty much any type of argument. <laughs> Oh, it absolutely is. And then in law enforcement, if that doesn't work, then you go to the you choose. Uh, And make make them responsible for the choice. Either you're going to come along quietly or we're going to have to handcuff you and drag you out of here and embarrass you in front of all your friends. You choose. What would you like to do? Well, I think I should walk out. Very good decision. (laughs) That does sound like the better option. I think I would make that one as well. And, well, to go back with, what if my wife says to me, she says, hey, wait a minute, you're not getting away with taking me out to dinner. Mm-mm, no, sir. And so you go right back into the anger cycle. So you think you deserve a little bit more because of the work you had to put in. And then you go through the cycle again. The next one is, well, why don't I watch the kids and you take a spa day with your friends? Yeah. Yeah. But, it, but you can just keep going back into it. You don't have yeah. to like, you don't have to engage or fight. You can yeah. just take it right back to the beginning. Okay. It didn't work the first time. Let's do it until yes. it does. And as long yes. as you can go back into it, eventually you're going to get where you want to go. Yes. Without a confrontation. Yes. Yes. It, in it the is. business world, that's critical. Totally. Totally. Because if you get into a confrontation, you're going to lose a client. There's no question. Yeah. So you're better off to just not do that in the first place and find a way to resolve the situation to both of your satisfaction. Yes. And, and this way allows you to lead it to a direction you want too. because every time you go into that presumptive statement, you are suggesting the outcome that you would like to have happen. <laughs> yes, absolutely. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, I liked I liked the analogy in the book. I'm not going to get our listeners too much into it, but you were talking about the gentleman who was trying to cross the border with a jar full of dirt. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> sorry, there's no situation, but they had to keep going back over and over and over again until he eventually gave up the jar of dirt. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, I did a, I did a lot of training with CBP and and, and that was one of the uh, uh the, the encounters they they ran into. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was kind of curious. It was. It was especially when eventually they were trying to get a teaspoon of dirt into the gut. Yes. <laughs> I was thinking like, dude, just give up the dirt. <laughs> well, they <laughs> that's what i said why didn't they just give up the dirt i don't know they didn't so what do you do so. <laughs> no it was a good one for sure um you know you get into later on in the book and one that resonated with me because we have three i have three sons and one on the way shortly <laughs> and so you we were getting into the well techniques the land oh, of yeah. oh, and yeah. the why should i believe yous and um you know, you were talking a bit because you have to be able to tell when people are lying. And this is some of the ways that you were able to essentially try to understand if you think you obviously you can't tell, but you can use ways that give you an idea that it's more than likely this person is lying to me. Can we get into some of those? Yeah. In the business world, you can't call people liars. I mean, that's just not appropriate. So what you want to do is test their veracity without them knowing that you're testing their veracity. And I think one of the most powerful techniques is the well technique. So if you ask somebody a yes or no question and they answer with the word well, then they're giving you an answer they know you're not expecting. That's a little complicated, but let's give you an example. I tell my kid, go into your room and do your homework. And you hear nothing but shenanigans going on in there. Nothing but tomfoolery. No homework. Kid comes out an hour later and you say, did you do your homework? First word in his response. Well, <laughs> stop right there, Junior. Go back in your room and do your homework. Well, how do you know I didn't do it? That's because I'm in the FBI. I know that stuff. Get in there and do it. But, but what's the real reason? Well, now, when he, when, I, when he comes out and I ask him that yes or no question, did you do your homework? What answer does he think I'm expecting? Yes, Dad, I did my homework. Yeah. So if he says, well, it's any answer but yes. Any answer but yes is no. Get back in there and do it. So he asked the boss, am I getting a raise this year, boss? Well, no, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> can, I get the, can I get the day off, boss? Well, now, can you deliver this quantity of equipment that I'm ordering on time? Well, no. Yeah, yeah. So you're, you're testing veracity without them knowing that you're testing veracity. And then the land of is. Oh yeah, <laughs> it, it 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 the land of is 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 also works with a yes or no question. If you ask a person a yes or no question, they have to answer yes or no. If they don't want to or can't answer yes or no, then they take you somewhere between yes and no, which is the land of is, and that is where they obfuscate, they double talk, they make excuses, they do all kinds of things, and you have to recognize they're taking you to the land of is. And say, well, whatever excuse they give you, well, that's fine that you brought that up. That's very interesting. But then you go back to the question, you know, ask the question again, and and and, and you look for a yes or no answer. If they still don't give you a yes or no answer on the second time and take you back to the land of is, then the probability of deception skyrockets. 
Yeah, it's it's amazing because it, it really is just the intricacies of communication. And if you know the signals to look for, you have an unfair advantage. And that's what I learned about the like switch. The like switch isn't about things that you don't already know or that you're not already doing. It truly does give you a unfair advantage in, in human communication. I would say that is what your book does. It, and, and it, it wasn't that what business is all about? Absolutely, absolutely, and that's why I'm I'm hoping that I'm 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 articulating this well to our business owner listeners and our business development people who are listening and my sales people who are listening. You need this book. That's all I have to say. <laughs> I recommend two books ever. I recommend Dale Carnegie's How to How to Win Friends and Influence People, and I recommend Jack Schaefer's The Like Switch. And Jack, I want you to take us into another book because. You know, I was just kind of reaching back out to you again. I, I, you know, I mean, I've loved the like switch since I read it for the first time. And I think it was 2016. I think you wrote it in 2015. Is that correct? Yes, 15. But in 2020, you released a new book. And you asked me when we first got into this, did, have you read my new book? And I was like, I didn't even know you had a new book. <laughs> so bring us into the truth detector. Yeah, the truth detector is, is uh, I teach people how to elicit information from people. In other words, you want them to tell the truth before they have a chance to lie. So what you want to do is using these techniques, you're able to get people to reveal information that they would not reveal under direct questioning. So elicitation techniques are nothing but um, uh, techniques that predispose people to want to talk to you about their secret things. So what I do is when I teach intelligence officers, we have a four-hour block in the morning about the techniques, very easy to learn. Then we take them out to the mall, and I actually appoint them. I said, go get that stranger's social security number. Go get their passwords for their computer at home and at work. Go get all kinds of things, personal information. My students can do it in three to five minutes of meeting a perfect stranger. Wow. That's how powerful it is. And when you're in negotiations, that's when it becomes really important because the person who reveals their bottom line first typically loses. So you want them to tell you what that bottom line is. And if you ask what's your bottom line, they won't tell you. But if you use elicitation techniques, they will tell you. And those elicitation techniques are unbelievably powerful Amazing. to get people to get people to reveal information. Well, I'll it's like, you. I'll give you a quick example. I was, my wife and I were looking at some real estate. We wanted to buy a new house. And I thought, boy, this this area looks like it might flood, you know? So is the real estate guy going to tell you if you ask him, does this flood? No, no, not at all. No, no, no problem. It doesn't flood. Don't worry about that. So instead of asking the direct question, I used elicitation that we call the presumptive. I said, wow, they did a really good job repairing it after the flood. And he goes, well, yeah, they did. They did this and that. I went, you dirty dog. <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. Oh, goodness. You know, there's one other thing that you talk about in the like switch, and it's uh, it's about your negotiation technique when you go and buy a new car. Yeah. Do you, oh, yeah. Do you want to Do you want to get into that if, one? Mike, well, if if you want to if you want to practice this stuff, go buy a new car. I don't know how it is in Canada, but the United States car salesmen are they're just unbelievable. So what I was thinking of before, I used to have my kids go in to no, negotiate cars. And I would, would have them, I, I, what I call name it and claim it. 
that's what we talked about earlier, but I didn't, I forgot what the terms were. So you name it, claim it. So they, my son walks in, well, that's the puppy dog technique. You know, once you name it and claim it, they can't use it against you. Yeah. But a lot of times I'll give you their first technique. They go uh, to get common ground. They'll go, hi, how are you? My name is so-and-so. What's your name? You give them your name. They'll say, what do you do for a living? I'm a, a plumber. And they go, oh, my dad's a plumber. The, the salesman would use vicarious common ground. You know, so no matter what you say, he's got a cousin, an uncle, a brother who's done that. Yeah. The second thing they do is they say, what, co- what color do you, you like, red cars or blue cars? They don't ask you what color would you like. They say, do you like red or blue? You say, well, I like blue cars. Well, we got a bunch in the back. Let's look at them. So they don't give you the option, right? And that technique is your brain likes to work efficiently. And if you give your brain two options, it typically automatically picks one or the other. It's like when I ask my crooks, you know, the crooks, do you really want to get away with this? They'll either answer yes, and I'll say, well, yeah, that's why I'm here to stop you. Or I'll say, no, well, that's why I'm here to stop you. <laughs> because I know how the brain works. Yeah. Oh, goodness. That one's brutal. That one's really so, harsh. <laughs> salesmen use it, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love and then, and then they want to sell you a payment. Well, what kind of monthly payment are you looking at? I said, well, I'm not looking at monthly payments at all. I'm going to hear to buy a car, not a monthly payment. Yeah. So they, they, I, I wrote a whole section in the, the truth detector because I, I, I talked to a car dealer and I elicited a lot of information from him, how to get the secrets of the deal. And so I, I published, you know, all that in that book and how do, how do you get someone to elicit information? Yeah. That will help you. You can save thousands of dollars on a car, thousands and thousands of dollars if you know what what goes on the secrets. But they're not gonna they're not gonna tell you the secrets. So you got to elicit the secrets, get them to tell you the secrets without them knowing that they're revealing sensitive information. Yes, yes. So so all of that's in the truth detector, hey? Yes, there's sixteen uh, uh, techniques to elicit information. You know, you know, I'd like to tell people is like you say, there's a fire hose effect. Just go take just take the friendship signals, the friend signals. Look at them, observe them, try to emulate them, try to try to make it when you're intentionally do it. And then when you get that done, add something else and then get that down, add something else, get that down. So take a piecemeal. So you don't look at the whole mountain and say, oh, I'll never move the mountain. But you can move it like what will they say once you can move a mountain one stone at a time. Yeah. Well, my, my argument would be the like switch is not a read once or read twice or read three times. It's a read 10 times and, <laughs> and implement it all because it's going to take that many. But I'll tell you what, I think that if you can get it to the point where it's semi-automatic, it is going to have nothing but benefit for your life. I got no question of that. Oh, and, and and I get I get a lot of feedback from the the sales. I do a lot of uh, I teach a lot of sales staff, and they 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 go back. Oh my gosh, it works! Yeah, like McGraw Hill was having trouble. Their their salespeople were having trouble talking to professors, and the one salesperson walked into me and said, "Oh, this is a better book. You ought to buy it." I'm going. You realize what you did? You you just told me my judgment on textbooks is very bad. <laughs> because I'm using one I think is very good. I said, no, no, don't do that. I said, you got to come in and say, Professor, I would like your advice on this. 
and I look at the book, of course they want my advice because I'm a professor. Yeah. Right. I'm an educated man. So, yeah, of course they wanted my advice. So they allowed me to flatter myself. They give me the deference. I want your advice. So they put me up on a little pedestal. And I read the book. I go like, wow, this is a better book. I think I'll buy it. So you're allowing that professor to make up his own mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I told the, the salesperson all these techniques. And she went back and told her boss. And the boss said, hey, you got to come and train all our staff. And they, they said it works unbelievably well. Yeah, well, you're right. Nobody wants to be sold. Nobody want people yeah. want to come to their own conclusions, and the more that you can let them do that, the better off yeah. you're going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. And that's what the likes would does. It just teaches people how to be nice to one another, how to have happy endings to yeah. your your relationships, your your business dealings, social encounters. It, it just, I would rather have a happy ending. Yes, agreed. Agreed. Well, Dr. Schaefer, this takes us to the end. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on today. Thank you for writing the like switch. I'm I'm literally leaving this and I'm going to go buy uh, the truth detector. So <laughs> I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan, a huge advocate, and I will continue to advocate for you. Um, you know, you mentioned that you're doing consulting services. Do you consult uh, up here in Canada as well? Yeah, I consult pretty much anywhere around the world. I, I, I don't, you know, since COVID, I've kind of, you know, things have, kind of slowed down a bit but they're starting to pick up again yeah i, I go to i used to go to canada quite a bit amazing if uh, if i have people listening that want to get a hold of you um what's the best way for them to get to reach you i'll give you my my uh email address it's uh jack schaefer j-a-c-k-s-c-h-a-f-e-r 500 at yahoo.com Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I say my, my favorite experience in Canada is getting a beaver tail in Ottawa. <laughs> well, you can get those almost anywhere. Oh, you can? Okay. <laughs> but you typically only at fairs. So maybe maybe if you go to Ottawa, you can get one outside of the fair. <laughs> Amazing. This has been episode 84 of the Business Development Podcast. We have been graced with Dr. Jack Schaefer, uh, author of The Like Switch, ex-FBI agent, but uh, definitely not an ex in his knowledge by any means. It's been an absolute pleasure having you, Dr. Schaefer. Oh, can, I, can I mention one more thing? They absolutely. can go to psychology.com and a lot of the, I have 167 posts there. They can look at all the stuff that we've talked about. Amazing. Amazing. So psychology.com. I'll make sure to have that in the links for the show. Until next time, this has been the Business Development Podcast, and we will catch you on the flip side. This has been the Business Development Podcast with Kelly Kennedy. Kelly has 15 years in sales and business development experience within the Alberta oil and gas industry and founded his own business development firm in 2020. His passion and his specialization is in customer relationship generation and business development. The show is brought to you by Capital Business Development, your business development specialists. For more, we invite you to the website at www.capitalbd.ca. See you next time on the Business Development Podcast.
Business development podcast leaders, HyperVac Technologies has long been a sponsor of the show, but they are now breaking new ground with HyperFab, a division set to revolutionize metal fabrication. Rooted in family-run service, HyperVac now introduces fiber laser cutting machines, reshaping the game in metal fabrication. HyperFab's fiber laser cutters offer precision beyond compare, meeting modern standards flawlessly. Speed up your projects with remarkable efficiency, reducing production time and boosting productivity. Versatility is key, handling diverse materials and thickness for endless possibilities. In the competitive landscape, cost-effectiveness is paramount. HyperFab's fiber laser cutters optimize resources, minimizing waste and energy consumption for sustainable, cost-efficient process. Safety takes the spotlight, too, with advanced features ensuring a secure work environment. As leaders in duct cleaning equipment, HyperVac Technologies extends its commitment to excellence. Explore HyperFab's cutting-edge technology at www.hypervac.com forward slash HyperFab. Elevate your metal fabrication with precision and innovation from HyperFab.